Very glad to see you. Let me start off by uh, saying hello, good morning to uh, other campuses in the beautiful uh, Beautiful Western North Carolina, the great 828, whether you are in the, one of the Asheville campuses, whether you're in the Hendersonville campus, whether you're out there in, uh, in Franklin, which uh, has a different climate. They got like four inches of snow last week, and we got, what, a half an inch. But wherever, wherever you are, even if you're online, I know we have a lot of folks that are online that watch, and if you're online, please join us if you are in the area at all. And uh, before we kind of jump into God's Word, let me say this. Next week, uh, we've already got, I looked, I, I got word this morning that already next week, there's like 30 or 40 people already being baptized next week. And so uh, I, but I, I said, it's going to be an awesome day. Uh, but, 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 but listen to me. Uh, I know there's a lot of you. We've seen God do some amazing things in these last few months, uh, in these last few years, even. And I would acknowledge this. If, if you, if you are a disciple of Jesus and you've never followed through, uh, with your public profession of faith, which is baptism. All right. It's not walking an aisle. It's not raising a hand. It's not even filling out a card. All right. Your public profession of faith, New Testament wise is being baptized. And maybe you got, came to Christ in the last few weeks, maybe the last few years. And for whatever reason, you hadn't taken that next step, man, next week would be like super awesome, right? Cause you got a lot of other folks right around you and you can kind of, if you want to be anonymous, you can kind of at least, except for those 20 seconds you're in the tub, you can be somewhat anonymous, but here's the easiest way. Once you text the word baptism to 28282, and then what'll happen is somebody will get right back with you. All right. And you can get your questions answered. Even if you just want to say, I got some questions about this, they'll take time to make sure you get your questions answered. But this really is, this is the first step of a disciple, right? So you come to Christ and then real quick, as quick as you can, really, before you even New Testament, you don't see classes, you don't see a lot of that stuff. What you see is we come to Christ in repentance and faith, and then we follow up in baptism, right? So whether you've been a believer a short amount of time, whether you've been, maybe you've been a believer for a long, long time, and for whatever reason, you just hadn't taken that first step of obedience. I mean, let's make next week just like a phenomenal day, not just in our church's life, but in your life uh, as well. All right, so let me say this. I know some of you, when you saw that video, uh, you got a little nervous, all right? You got a little nervous because when you saw the title at the end, uh, you're like, oh, oh wait, wait, it's, a, it's, about, it's about to get real. When you saw uh, Money Mouth and you're like, hey, I'm just trying to take a deep breath, all right? Take a deep breath, relax. Already taking our offering, all right? We're not taking another offering, all right? So I'm not going to ask you to fill out a pledge card, okay? I'm not, we're, not, we're not in a building campaign, none of that stuff at all. So just relax a little bit and just, and just realize this is what you asked for, okay? Uh, weeks ago when we filled out and did all those rocks, this thing was like maybe, maybe almost 30% of them were like this deal right here. It's like my, my issue, my mountain is, uh, is finances, it's money, and I know that runs the gamut of what that might mean in, uh, in your life, and um, uh, here's what it could mean. Um, some of you may be going through a really hard time, difficult time. Uh, maybe you had a circumstance, maybe a health issue, maybe the bills rang up quicker than you could uh, catch up with them, and it's very, very tight, and what you're looking for is, how do I get victory over this area? And uh, not coincidentally, but providentially, I actually got an email this week. Let me read to you about somebody who got some great victory in this area. I will protect the name. I forgot to ask this person if I could say it, so I'm going to protect the name a little bit. But here's what it says. Pastor Bruce, week one, when you asked us to take our rock and really trust God with that mountain in our life, I knew for sure that my mountain at that moment was finances. As a single mom of a son who keeps me busy with all of his sports, I normally feel the strain of money often. Recently on a trip for my son to play in his all-star football tournament, we were involved in a wreck and totaled our only vehicle. We were suddenly without transportation. 
I put money together pulling from bills that needed to be paid to put enough together to cover what insurance could not after paying my car loan off. I came up with enough to put a down payment on a car so I could get to and from work. But after this incident, after the accident, I couldn't seem to get out of the financial hole that was suddenly and unexpectedly created. That Sunday, as I held my rock, I had $2 to my name and still a week and a half until payday. We drove to church, sales where they drive from, we drove to church using the very little gas that I had left in the car because I knew we needed to be in God's house. I earnestly prayed on my knees that day at church. I felt so much peace about the situation. Monday came, the same $2 left in my wallet. I decided to use my lunch break to read my notes from Sunday service and reread the scripture. I closed my office door, got on my knees, and begged God to show me how to make it work for, 10, for my 10-year-old son for the next week and a half. A couple of hours later, I received a letter from a past employer. The letter stated that my IRA that I had with them a long time ago had been closed, and they were needing to know where to send the check. I called them. Sure enough, they were sending it to me. I didn't even remember that I had that account. I signed some forms, figured out how to get $10 to get it overnighted. I had the money two days later. This is how God moves. Thanks for sharing his word. Thanks for helping me to trust him. Instead of trying frantically to fix things my own way, God is always moving, but this was so clear. It's like, man, that's an awesome, awesome, awesome story. So that's, that's, where a lot, that's where some of you are. You're like, man, I got two bucks or 10 bucks or I've been without work for six months or whatever the case may be. That's for some of you. All right, some of you probably filled out that rock because you're just growing as a disciple and you understand this is like the one area that Jesus talked a ton about and maybe that's an area that you don't know a whole lot about and what's the Bible expect and what does God want me to do and you just want to figure out how, what do I save, what do I budget, what do I, how do I become generous, those things. And then lastly, uh, some of you just know the strain of this in your family. This is the, the counselors say this is the number one, this is the number one topic that married couples fight about. And it's, it's regardless of income levels, because early on you fight about, okay, do I get generic mayonnaise or do I get the name brand mayonnaise, right? When you got no money, that's what you fight about. But then as your income goes up, the arguments change, but it's still fight. Maybe you fight about private school or public school, all right? New car or used car, all right? BMW or Benz or whatever it is, you get in these arguments. And the question is, what, is, what, is, what does God want us to do? And here's, here's where it intersects with us at Biltmore Churches. One of our values is we want to make disciples, all right, not just converts, all right? We don't want just a large group of attenders, all right? We want disciples who make disciples, and this area is one of the biggest areas of discipleship. And it's one that we, particularly here in America, can be swept up in the current so very, very easily. All right, Jesus, about 40% of the stories Jesus told were about this whole area. In other words, if I preached as, as much as Jesus about this area, every third sermon would be about this. So um, the best way, and I looked at all the different, different audiences, I mean, again, some of you, it's just a wide variety of where people are on this subject. So probably the best, most condensed and thorough section in the Bible that hits all these areas is in 1 Timothy. So let me tell you what 1 Timothy is about, and then we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6. 
And here's basically this. First uh, Timothy is named First Timothy because it's the letter that an older preacher named Paul wrote to his protege, if you will, or wrote to a younger preacher whose name was Timothy. And what he's going to tell Timothy is, Timothy, when you stand up and preach to your church, you got to realize that in that congregation, there are two types of people, all right? One type of person are those who desire to get rich, and the second type of person in there is those who already are rich. It's like the first one, you're going to talk to them about the attitude toward it, and the second one, you're going to talk about action that you and I need to take as a disciple. All right, so we're going to walk through this passage. We're going to go start in verse 6. We're going to go 6 to 10, and then we're going to look at a couple of verses at the end. All right, so here's, uh, here's verse 6, and, and by the way, I know... I always, I I need to say this only because it happens every time. Um, We're going to look at some principles today that are true for a disciple of Jesus, but undoubtedly people that are at church today, uh, some of you have a anxiety and a bent toward this. Some of it is because it is an idol in your life, but some of it is because an experience you had in your past, right? Maybe some preacher ripped you off or got outside of the Bible or whatever. And what I would say is this, all right? What I would say is this, is just take these principles and then apply them to a place that you can trust, but don't miss what God's trying to do in your life. And don't use what somebody did back then as an excuse to miss out on what God wants to teach us, all right? So here's, here's, the, here's the text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's just stop there for a second. Godliness, there's a formula here. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Contentment. I mean, just the word itself sounds peaceful. I mean, right now, just take a big old whiff of the fresh air on top of Mount Contentment, all right? It's like, man, I'm good. What do you need? I don't really need anything else. Well, what about, I don't need a new spouse. I don't need a new house. I don't need a new car. I'm good. I'm good. He says that coupled with godliness. Now, godliness is basically, I'm not content with who I am. Contentment is I'm I'm satisfied with what I have. Godliness says, you know what? I'm not content with where I am spiritually. I still want to grow. So if you get a hungry soul and a satisfied soul and you put them together, it's like that is great gain. You're like where everybody wants to be. Why would that be the case? Verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Listen, this is not rocket science. This is just perspective. He says, hey, when you were born, you didn't bring anything in here. I've been at two births. Both boys, they come out, cone head, shriveled up face. They had not, they did not have a suit on. They didn't have pockets. They had nothing. Naked as a jaybird is what we used to say. It's like nothing on at all. My wife was a labor and delivery nurse for years in Houston, and I think I might have told you the story one time, but because everybody thinks their baby is beautiful. And honestly, I'm just trying to break it to you. Not babies are not that beautiful. On they're not. They're not. Kind of shrinky looking, alien kind of looking things most of the time. They are. But my wife worked for a doctor, and every time a baby was born, this doctor would say, That is the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. And then one time, Lori's like, well, well, Doc, what, ha- what, ha- what happens if the baby's really not 
not beautiful. What happens if the baby comes out and the baby's not real beautiful? What do you say then? He says, well, I look to the parents and I say, looks just like you. That's what I say. That's what I say. So point is this, when all those babies came, it's like, listen, they got not, they're not bringing anything into the world. And he says, you're not going to take anything out. I mean, that's, that's just, it's just true. It's just true. Okay. One day I'm going to die. You guys are going to have a funeral. I hope you come in here and celebrate and sing and don't celebrate too hard. Cry a little bit, but you're going to have, I'm going to be here. I'm going to close my coffin. I just, I don't want y'all looking at me because you know what? It's not me right there. I'm gone. I'm rejoicing up in heaven. But then what you're going to do, you're going to leave and you're going to go have a meal or you're going to have some awesome time. But I am not like, what did he leave behind? What did he leave behind? He left behind everything. That's what he left behind. He left behind everything. And that's just, it's just, it's just fact. So verse eight says this, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. All right. Anybody there yet? Now remember, this, is, this was to a desert, semi-agrarian culture. Anybody in here say, you know what? You give me windbreakers and Taco Bell and I'm good. That's all I need. Anybody in here say that's enough? Most of us would say, you know what? I'm struggling right there. I'm struggling. Just, just you know, one outfit, one outfit and a little bit of food, content. And here's what you got to understand. Again, we particularly, we are in the... We are in a unique time. Right now we live, just think about the danger we're in. We live in the richest nation at the richest time in history in all of mankind. That's where we live. That's where you and I live right now. And so we, every day, we have to step into a stream, a current that is trying to sweep us down into an ocean of discontentment. And so $200 billion a year is spent to make you and I discontent. That I gotta have that condo, I gotta have that car, I gotta have those cabinets, I gotta have that countertop, and if I don't get them, I mean, I'm just, there's something, there's something, there's something missing there. But here's what it says, here's just the warning. The warning is this. But those who desire to be rich, now we're gonna come back to that word, it's a pretty important word. Doesn't mean just like, you know, I'd, it's, a settled, it's a settled goal in life. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, a trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. All right, let's, just, let's be honest again. Let's be honest again. Does anybody in here, in Hendersonville, particularly Marcus and Tyler said you're honest, so you gotta, you gotta be honest in church. Anybody in here just, let's be honest. Anybody in here desire to be rich, just raise your hand. A bunch of liars. Come on now. Really? Okay, let me rephrase it. If you have a choice between either rich or being poor, who is going to raise your hand if you're going to pick rich? Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Yes. You're like, well, I don't want to be rich. I just want to be richer. All right. I just want to be rich. I don't have to be like Bill Gates. I just want to be richer than I am right now. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That, that idea of saying, you know what? I want to be better. I want to provide better. That's not necessarily wrong. It's just dangerous. And the word desire there is not the one-off, you know what, man, I tell you what, I wish we could afford to, you know, instead of going to Myrtle, I wish we could go to like Florida this year. That's not necessarily wrong. The word desire there is in the tense that means that's my goal in life. That's my settled aim. That's what I'm going to structure my life that's what I'm going to be about. I'm going to build this company. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to live on this street. That is what I am going to be about. And all he says is just realize 
realize it comes with some traps. It comes with some snares. Now, again, we don't even have to look in the mirror. We can just look around for this. I mean, how many, uh, how many times have you seen a family? Maybe you've been a part of it. A family is a pretty harmonious family. Somebody dies, there's a will left behind, some money is left behind, and that harmonious family that used to act, hey, we're praying for you, and they get together. Man, when there's a will, it's like, boom, they just are at each other. Family disintegrates. Heck, I saw a movie a few months ago called Knives Out. The whole thing was somebody dies, leaves money, they are at each other's throats because there is, there's a snare there. How about, uh, how about some of y'all, you're like, you know what? Uh, how many times have you seen business partners when they start a business and they make no money at all and they're close and they're giving this to the Lord and there's no money involved and they're just trying to figure out how to pay next month's payroll. And then all of a sudden it hits and it hits and it hits and pretty soon it's like money is pouring in and then the arguments begin, then the fighting begins and then they break up. How about, uh, how about the guy that's, uh, or the lady trying to climb the corporate ladder. I'm not talking about for a season. I'm not even talking about for a cycle. I'm talking about five or 10 years. I'm working 70, 80 hours a week. Listen, the Bible talks about, listen, don't be a slackered. Don't be a slackered because you're going to get hungry, okay? You work hard. But if you work five or 10 years at 80 hours a week and you're a parent, you're going to miss some stuff. You're going to miss a whole bunch of stuff. Some of us... Uh, uh, if you're like Gen X or something like that, you can look further back. And there's that old song by Cat Stevens, great theologian. He said, he said, he said, the cat's in the cradle, the whole song, go ahead and look it up sometime. The cat's in the cradle. The whole song is so convicting. It's about a dad who never had enough time because he's always getting on a plane or going on a business trip. So he's missing playing catch with his son. He's missing the recitals. He's missing the ballet. He's missing all of that stuff. And then there's a point where he now has time, but the son's grown up and he's like, hey, son, you want to go play catch? And he's like, hey, not now, dad, not now, dad. He's just doing what he saw dad do. And now that dad has time, son doesn't have time. Uh, that is a life filled with regret. That's a life that has been ruined and has fallen into a snare or let me just get in your business a little bit more connect group leaders how many times you had somebody in connect group you don't see them a month or two months or whatever and you're calling them and like hey we're just missing you we're praying for you. like hey we got this boat got this boat got this boat we got this boat and the boat has to go to the lake and the lake has to have us because you know what we wouldn't have got this boat or got this lake and the only day we can go down there is sunday so i know we hadn't been in biblical community forever I know that our teenagers are not in student ministry anymore and they're acting like hellions and we can't figure out what's wrong. I know our marriage is going down the toilet, but hey, we got this boat. Listen, the boat's not wrong. It's just, it just is a, it's a trap if you're not careful. That's all he's saying. The boat's not the issue. What he's saying is that all of that stuff just brings a, brings with it some, some ruin if you're not careful. And here's what he just, again, we know this. Here's verse 10. He says, for the love of money, listen, if you've heard, the money's the root of all evil. First of all, it's not money. Money is amoral. It's not immoral. Money is no more immoral than brownies, okay? It's not immoral. It's amoral. It's a commodity. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, amazing word right there, amazing word, it's through this craving. Some of your translations say lust. Others of you says desires. It's that sense of, you know what, man, I just got to feed the craving. I got to feed the beast. I got to feed the beast. You know, the, uh, 
What I always think about when I see this, I think about those, uh, I think about Joey Chestnut. That's who I think about, all right? Some of you don't know, Joey Chestnut basically is the, I don't know if he won this year, but for years, he was the defending champion of that hot dog eating competition. I think they usually do it on the 4th of July. They put it, I remember being shocked, they put it on ESPN. I was like, that is not a sport, okay? That is not a sport any more than bowling is a sport. That's don't, don't be mad. It's not a sport. I'm just saying, but hot dog eating contest. Really? 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 This guy would eat like 40, 50 hot dogs. It was nasty, gross, certainly not a sport, but he just like, how do you train for that? Joey, how do you train for that? He had all these training exercises to bloat his stomach out and then shrink it back and blow it. He was talking about, I'm an athlete because you're not an athlete, bro. You eat hot dogs. That's what you do. And so what he would train by is every once in a while, he would just gorge himself with like 40 or 50 hot dogs to make his appetite get bigger and bigger. And And this guy's not a big guy, but then he would shove these down and then all it would do is give him a bigger appetite. That's the word here. It's just an appetite. It is through this appetite that some have, what, wandered away from the faith, and this is what's even crazier, and pierced themselves with many, many pangs. I mean, you ever seen that? Pierced themselves, what an odd combination of words. It's like a picture of somebody taking a knife and going, it's like, what are you doing? I'm stabbing myself. Why are you doing that? Because it's fun, I crave it. It's like, that's not fun, you're you're bleeding everywhere. Yeah, but it's, we're having some fun now. That's kind of the picture. It's like nobody, nobody, nobody would do that. And, uh, Here's, what we, here's what's happening is because we were created to love God and to love our neighbor and then to use our money to love God and love our neighbor, what happens is, is we, so we love money, then what we do is we use God and use our neighbor to get the money. And then everything jacks up. And so I, I, I either read or heard this week that idols always demand a sacrifice. That's a great saying. Idols always demand a sacrifice. The scariest part, as I examined it, some self-examination, is that Jesus makes clear this is without a doubt going to be the number one competitor for him in your heart. Without a doubt, he says. It's not just about the amount of time he spent talking about it, but he clearly says this, and he says this about nothing else. He says, no one can serve two masters. He says, you will either hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Here's what he says. He doesn't say that you can't love one and have a casual relationship with the other. He says, you can't serve both. What that means is I can either love God and use money, or I can use God and love money, but I can't do both. I love you, I love you, I love you. But listen to me. Which one is true for you? The average American is 1.9% of what God puts in my hand, I give away. 1.9% to any cause at all. And so here's here's what I saw uh, personally and then maybe for you too. When it comes to how does this flesh itself out, there's usually two types of people and they usually think the other one's the one with the issue. One of them is a saver. Now, does the Bible teach saving? Absolutely, it does. Proverbs chapter 6 says, look at the ant, how he puts away in the summer so he has enough in the winter. Saving and budgeting is a biblical concept. But there's a difference between saving and hoarding. And so savers basically look at it and they see saving as a source 
of security. That's, that's who, by and large, that's who I am. By and large, somebody said, you're tighter than bark on a tree. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say to that, but it sounds, it actually, I, felt, I took it as a compliment. That's not the way it was meant. And here's the, re- I, I tried to examine that. I was like, why am I? It's not that every once in a while you don't feel like splurging and do splurge, but generally what you do is you find security in putting something away. My first reaction is if I get some unexpected income, I then put it away for the rainy day that may or may not come, but I feel better because I've got it put away there and I feel secure in that. The tendency and the temptation is for me to put my hope and security in whatever that amount is. And some of this sums up the way you're raised. I try to think, why am I like that? Why, am I, why do I have that tendency? And I'm not sure this is the whole thing. I'm not trying to psychoanalyze everything. Um, but I know for me, one of the main memories that I have is like an 11-year-old or a 12-year-old, I think I told you one time before, is uh, my dad picked me up uh, when I was getting some private coaching in a sport. And when he picked me up, uh, he came and I got in the passenger side and obviously he was in the driver's side and the coach came up to the window and they were kind of talking quietly. But basically what I could discern was my dad had written a check that had bounced to this coach. And I, rem- I saw the anger and embarrassment on my dad's face and I thought to myself, he's a little 12-year-old boy. It's like, I never want to have that look. I never want to feel the way that he feels right now. And so maybe that's one way. It's like, you know what? Savor, savor. Let's put away. Let's put away. Let's put away again. It can be good as long as it doesn't become your God. Others of you are spenders. You would call yourself a fun person and you would call us dull people. And what we see as a source of security as a spender, you see that as a source of significance. So instead of thinking, okay, I got some extra income, I'm going to put it away for security, you think, hey, hey, look what God did. It's time for new countertops, right? I don't know what shiplap is, don't want to spell it, don't want to say it fast, but it's awesome and we got to have some of that stuff. And what's amazing is God often puts a spender and a saver together, okay? They put some together in a married couple. Some of you are like that. And, and some of you spenders, you look at the savers as having a problem with money. And some of you savers look at the spenders and you're like, you got a problem with money. The problem is when it goes to the extreme, it's both called idolatry. It's both idolatry. It's saying my hope and my security is going to be in either what I have or what I spend. It's a good thing, but it eventually disappoints. So just for time's sake, let me throw out a few things that there might be an idolatry issue in this area if, uh, again, we could put 10 out here. Let me put four real quick. You might, it might be an idol if you live beyond your means on a regular basis. Now, this goes no matter what your income level is. If you make $10 and you spend $12 every single week, you're going to get in trouble. If you make $100,000 and you spend $110,000, it doesn't matter. You're going to get in trouble. And what happens is we tend to, in our society, we just max out the credit card. Well, I can't really afford that but I want that and I need that. And so the priceless MasterCard is what I will do. Average American has somewhere around $15,000 on a credit card. That's just consumer debt. I'm not talking about an emergency, okay? All right. Uh, Another one would be, uh, here's one. Money might be an idol if you knowingly sin to make the money. If you knowingly sin to make the money. Proverbs talks about dishonest scales are abhorred by the Lord. A dishonest scales is a number of different things. Maybe you have a business that knowingly tries to get people to sin to have you have money. That would be wrong. 
Others of you might exaggerate your product. You're like, you know this car is a lemon? You're like, yeah, it's never had a problem at all. You know it's been in a flood, okay? You know that. You know that. Little old lady drove this. That's the only one that drove it. And you know it's the fourth owner. All right? That's not good business sense, all right? Okay. You think God's going to bless that? He will not. You're like, well, he has so far. Just wait. Maybe, uh, here's one, uh, you, you cheat on your taxes. Well, I'm just being frugal. That's actually being dishonest is what that is. You need to read the book of Romans sometime. You're like, I don't like the taxes. I don't like them either. doesn't matter, okay? If you're a Christ follower, that's part of your testimony. Here's another one. Uh, here's one that was hard. It's like you constantly have to upgrade every time. Every time, phone, it's a new iPhone 50. I gotta, I gotta have it, gotta have the, gotta have it, all right? We can barely afford the house room. We gotta have a bigger house, gotta have a better house. Oh, or uh, here's another one. Uh, you rarely, money might be an idol, if you rarely, if you rarely help anybody outside your family. Because if you help your family, you're kind of just helping yourself, correct? Can we get read on that? I'm kind of helping myself. If I, help, if I help my wife and I'm like, hey, here he is, here's, you know, or if my wife helps my husband, you know, you're kind of helping each other, you know, happy wife, happy life, happy husband, make something up. I don't have a rhyme, but just, <laughs> you understand you're paying yourself, but this is unique to some degree for us. Obviously, it's not totally unique because this is written way back 2,000 years ago when their idea of riches was far different than ours, but just realize the time that we're in, realize the current that we are in. Realize that Americans were more generous during the Great Depression than they are right now. Realize that Christians in Africa give more percentage-wise than Christians in America. So, if that's our attitude, what do we actually do? Some of this will surprise you. This ought to free some of us up. So go to verse 17, and this has to do with action. As for the rich in this present age... Now, before we even go any further, some of you are like, man, whew, that's awesome. That's not for me. It's not for me. 99% of us at church today would be included in this. 99.9% of us. Matter of fact, uh, if you make, I think the statistics are, if you make $34,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. If you make $45,000 a year, you're a one percenter, all right? Whether you want to say you are or not, globally, global standards, uh, you and I, almost all of us would be in the top, at least top five to 10% in, uh, in the world, all right? And you're like, well, you're trying to make us feel, I'm not trying to make any of us feel bad. We don't need to feel guilty. We just need to feel responsible. We just need to feel grateful. And so here it is. Uh, what should we not do? Charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. You do realize it's uncertain, correct? You do realize it is uncertain. You do realize one phone call from the highway patrol can change everything. You understand that? You realize one phone call from the doctor can change everything no matter how much you have. Uncertainty just right out to the side of it, 2008, and you'll understand what uncertainty is. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything, and this is all to enjoy. Richly provides us everything to enjoy. 
So before we kind of get into what we're supposed to do, just take note of a couple of attitudes again that carry over some dangers. The first one he says is don't be haughty. It just means arrogant. It just means arrogant. It just means like, man, my net worth is up here, and so my self-worth is up here. That's what it's saying. My net worth is inflated, and so is my self-worth. Now listen to me carefully. I know, and there's nothing, again, there's nothing wrong the fact that you had a great work ethic. There's everything right, the fact that you stayed longer than other people, that you studied when everybody else went out and partied, that you sacrificed and risked more. That is good, okay? That's good. But also just realize there were some things that God allowed that you did not have a say in. You did not have a say in what country you were going to be born in. You didn't have a say in what time frame that you were going to be born in. You didn't have a say in who your parents were going to be. Again, it's not about being feeling guilty. It's just feeling grateful and not entitled and not haughty. That's what he's saying. Here's what it kind of comes to me, and it's probably uh, whatever, you know, I don't care uh, at this point. Is uh, You know what I think of when I think of haughty? I think of, uh, I've, I've probably had it four or five times here. Is the teenager who you see at the light driving a brand new Beamer. And they just look so like, look what I'm driving. Look what I earn. Look at this thing. And I want to go, bro, you know how ridiculous you look? You did not earn that. They don't know 16-year-old, unless his name is Bill Gates, that has his own net worth to buy a Beamer. You know who bought that? Who bought that were your parents. So again, just be grateful. You're over there acting all cocky and entitled. You didn't do that, and you look like a joke to the rest of us. Your parents also look a little silly, but that's a parenting sermon. So let me go to the next one. That is, hope is misplaced. Hope is misplaced. It says, don't put your hope on these riches, on these riches. Here's what it means. It means hope. Money, money, money can, it can buy you a $5,000 mattress, but it cannot buy you a peaceful night's sleep. It can buy you an awesome beach house, but it cannot buy you a unified family. Just realize the fact, the limitations of what it can, it can buy you toys, but it cannot buy you joy. So uh, what should I do? What do I do? How do I get out of this? How do I I deal with this? These are things that we all have to deal with because we're in that current. Let me give the first one super fun, super easy. Here's, you never thought you'd hear this. Okay, spend some of it. Spend some of it. Do you see that in the text? Verse 17, he says, God has richly provided us some things. What does it say? To enjoy. Some of you are like, I never highlighted before in my life, but I'm highlighting that one. That's okay. He says, I am a good, good father, and I've given you some stuff for my glory, but also for your joy. So what does that mean? That means the prosperity gospel is a lie and the poverty gospel is a lie. It's just the gospel. And if you're a disciple, my life and your life is to be a response to the gospel. Paul kind of put this in accounting terms in 2 Corinthians when he says this. It says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now, I know some people twist that and talk about Jesus was walking around and driving around in some kind of Mercedes-Benz chariot. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this, that in his, in his riches that he had everything sinless up in heaven, but for your sake he became poor. He took your sin on himself so that you could then have his riches. All right, that's, 
Bible is the commentator on the Bible in like three verses, three chapters earlier said he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All right. So our, we, everything's to be a response, but part of that is to enjoy what God has actually given you. Can I just be blunt? If you're a Christ follower, you should enjoy life more than the non-Christian. You should enjoy life more than the non-Christian. You should, you should enjoy stuff more than the non-Christian. You should enjoy a steak more than the non-Christian. You should. Because if you're a son or daughter of Almighty God, see, if you're, not a, if you're not a believer and you eat a steak, all it is is a steak. It's just like steak, good steak, good steak. But if you're like an adopted daughter of Almighty God, you can just cut into that awesome steak, cook medium as God would have it, and you're cooking that thing, and you're looking at that thing, and you put it in your mouth, and all of a sudden you realize, God gave me taste buds that interact with this delicious part of the meat, and it tastes amazing, and praise God from whom all blessings flow, all right? That's what you can say. If you're not, the gift just terminates on the gift. But if you're a believer, it goes beyond that and it elevates up to praise and worship to the giver. And so it's not just steak, it's not just golf, it's not just the beach, it's a gift from Almighty God to the daughter and the son whom he loves. So again, enjoy what God gave you. Take the vacation, buy the shoes. There's a lot of folks in the Bible who God blessed, they, they were very generous, but to Abraham, um, Job at the front part of his life and at the back part of his life, Solomon, some of Jesus' followers in Acts were obviously well enough to do because they had large houses because they hosted the whole church with some gathering. So do that. Enjoy it. Second one, very quickly, it says, do some good things. Hey, what, have we done the verses before? Can't remember if we've done all the verses. All right, thank you. Here's what it says in verse 18. It says, enjoy it, but they're to do good and be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. All right, so you want to spend some. Wisdom would say you need to save some. You need to save some. Proverbs talks a bunch about this. Proverbs talks about the wise man is the one that actually leaves an inheritance to his great-grandkids or to his grandkids. I'm like, that's a pretty good wad of cash, right? If you're leaving money, not just for your kids, but for their kids, you actually, you put some stuff away. So save, budget. Some of you actually need to, I mean, some of you need to get that Larry Burkett stuff, Ron Blue stuff, financial piece. I can't even remember what we offer here. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to learn it. But learn how to do that. Save it. Everything, save for a rainy day, save for a mission trip, save for whatever. Even if it's like a dollar a day, just put it and allow it to compound on itself. But for, for time's sake, here's where we, here's where we struggle, is, is we need to share some. We need to share some. Spend some. I mean, how easy is it? Spend some, enjoy it, do some good works. Part of that is saving, investing, whatever it is that you can do. Create wealth, that's fine. But then also you need to share some, share some. You're like, how much, how much, how much? Well, let me just, just look at the text. It says, be rich in good works, be rich in good works. So let's just take a super easy good work. The Bible talks clearly about our responsibility to the poor, correct? I mean, you can go to Proverbs, you can go to the book of James. Here's a couple of verses. 
Those who close their eyes to the poor receive many curses, but those who give to the poor will lack nothing. Proverbs 3, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. The book of James, three different places says, if you and I don't help the poor people as disciples of Jesus, then he says, you having genuine faith is an impossibility. That's what he says. That's a half brother of Jesus. Like if you don't help poor people in some way, shape or form, then guess what? You don't know Jesus. That's what he says. If you get mad, get mad at him. And so what does that look like? Let me just take super easy one. Now, some of us, you, you don't even know you do this, but indirectly, the 14 partners around Western North Carolina, you have a part in that if you ever do anything. But I'm gonna challenge you this. Uh, it should become of no surprise, one of our big, big things here, and this isn't Compassion Day, but one of our big deals is we, spot, we partner with Compassion International. Well over a million dollars a year goes to Compassion International. If you're not familiar with what that is, Compassion International is the largest child sponsorship organization that rescues children in poverty in Jesus' name. Brings them out of that, feeds them, clothes them, educates them, and also shares the gospel with them. So it breaks the cycle of poverty, it demonstrates the gospel, and it also declares the gospel. And so over the last few years, as we partner with them, thousands of you all have come up. I think there's 3,000 plus children that are already sponsored. You're like, that's great. That's awesome. It is awesome. You know what the ultimate goal is, just so you know? The ultimate goal for our church, and this is kind of like, I don't even plan on saying this. You know what? 3,000 is awesome. Right now, we average over 8,000 in worship. So you know what the ultimate goal should be? That we have at least the amount of kids that are sponsored for 38 bucks a month that we have coming to worship and sitting and singing and listening to a sermon. So it might take us a couple more years and then the mark might move a little bit, but you're like, I don't trust anything. Can you not, let me just say this. Hey, Christian that doesn't do jack, just seriously. I don't care. I mean, I don't care. I mean, if you don't, if you get mad at this, whatever. Um, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you don't even, if you just want a starting point, you're like, ah, ah you just want my money, whatever. Shut up. I don't want to just sponsor a kid. All right. Sponsor a child. All right. Sponsor a child in Ecuador. You can do so today, all right? You can go to one of the lobbies. All the campuses got it. Just go there, 38 bucks a month. You know what? If you're a disciple of Christ, then listen, I'm not trying to put guilt on you at all. I'll go to that if I need to, but all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is seriously, don't feel guilty. Let's just feel, let's just feel grateful to God of what he's blessed us with and then share some of that with somebody else. And you got like right here, I got here, I got, I got, I got Brianna Reyes. Birthday, February 25th. Somebody in here probably has that birthday. Just guessing. Not saying the Lord told you to sponsor Brianna. Just, just telling you. Lord speaks. Lord speaks. All right, I got James here as well, and I can't pronounce his last name, but here's, here's Brianna is very cute. I might, we might, we, we sponsor a bunch already, but we might sponsor Brianna. Like, here's, here's, here's what you need to, before you leave, just say, hey, if you got kids, what a great lesson. I'm trying to teach my kids the Bible. Why don't you show them the Bible? Why don't you show them the Bible? Like, I want them to, I want them to know what's in here, and I want you to tell them what's in here. But you know, a lot of what's in here in this book is going to be shown by what's in your checkbook. So, uh, I would say rich in good works would be sponsoring a compassion child. We, we only, I, I said, hey, compassion, send us 200. It's not a compassion day. Send us 200. Hey, church, don't make us look bad, all right? Don't make us look bad. 200, really? 
200, 8,000 people can do 200. If you hadn't done it, pick them up, all right? All right, not a lot of amens. We're gonna, I'm going to come back to it until we get 200 done. So here it is, is uh, to be generous, to be generous. So let's kind of close it out with a couple questions, all right? He says to be rich in works and to be generous. Ask yourself the question, am I generous or am I stingy? <laughs> I know it's a moving target. I know it's a moving target. It's like, what does generous mean? I mean, I gave a dollar to a homeless guy one time and I, you know, it really hurt. Okay, I know generosity is a moving target. Biblically, what you kind of see in the Bible is the kind of the baseline for that is 10%. All right, we don't, we don't, have, we don't work by law here, but generally in the Old Testament, that's sort of the baseline starting point. Jesus affirmed it. You're like, I don't believe in that. Then just go, just read the whole Bible, all right? Um, Here's some questions you can ask. Um, is God getting my first and my best? Uh, what does your giving say about what is first in your heart? What does my money reveal about what I love the most, trust the most, and whose kingdom I am living for? Just, I mean, just ask yourself the question. Ask yourself the question if, uh, if you were a parent and gave $10 to your son and little sister needed $1 for lunch, and son's like, you know what, I just, I just, I just don't, I don't want to do that. I don't like little sister, and this is mine, this is mine. As a parent, how would you feel? Or to put it another way, if you were God, if you were God, would you trust you with more? Like, well, it, well, it is mine. Is it? Is it? I like to... Will Smith, who's the actor, he's getting interviewed, and the interviewer said, when did your kids learn that they were rich? And he said, let me stop you right there. I'm rich, my kids are not. I let them use some of my money, but it's, but it's not theirs. That's a good lesson, that's like number one, all right? Number one, I'm ultimately a steward, not an owner, especially if you're a disciple of Jesus. I'm a steward, I'm a manager, not an owner. So you're like, hey, what would God have me to do? Well, why should I? Well, here's the last verse. This is cool. Some of you hadn't even thought about this. Thus storing up treasure for themselves, that's the people that are rich in good works, sponsor compassion children, those people, okay? Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So now the future, he's not talking about investors and financial guys say, don't think tomorrow, think next year, think five years down the road. Jesus actually says, think longer than that, all right? Think eternity. Storing up as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So uh, here's the way that uh, storing up themselves treasure in heaven. It's very similar to what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, don't store up for yourself treasures here, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. In other words, it's, it's, it's not wrong, but just think of the logic that he's trying to get across. The logic is, let's say you check into the Hampton Inn. You check into the Hampton Inn uh, just for the weekend. You're checking in there on Friday, and you go up there on Saturday morning like, hey, I'm checking out Monday, but I kind of want to upgrade this room, all right? I want to put down some granite. I want to put down some hardwoods. I want to put down some new fixtures. They would go, are you crazy? Are you crazy? You're checking out Monday. That's what he's saying. He's like, you're here for a short amount of time. It's okay to do stuff, but just realize this is much shorter than what that is. 
It says, so store up and even that you would have life. And I was just, I was thinking of us as a church. I mean, God's been very good to us, church. He's been very good to us. That's what Robbie was saying. He's like, man, every time somebody comes and guest speaks here, that's what they always say. They say, man, your people are awesome. Your staff team is awesome. And then they say, what's happening is not normal. It's not normal, but I get used to it and you get used to it. We don't feel bad. We just want to give glory to God about it. But the only thing we can take, here's, what you, here's the last thing. The only thing we can take to people, the only thing we can take, the only thing we can take to heaven is people. That's the only thing we can take to heaven is we can take people to heaven. That's why we're going to keep planting churches. That's why we're going to keep sponsoring children. That's why we're going to keep opening campuses. Why? Because the most God-glorifying thing we can do is have more people glorifying God. That's what we're going to try to do. And so I'll just end with this. Some of you all have, uh, and it's real popular, I think the movie like 2007 was what put it on the map, so to speak, but it's been around for a while, and that's called a bucket list. Bucket list. The bucket list is basically stuff I want to do, stuff I want to do before I kick the bucket is the whole kind of deal. You know, it's like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to go to Disney World or I want to, you know, climb Mount Everest or I want to, you know, go to the Caymans or I want to do whatever, you know, I got this, I got this bucket list, right? And um, just theologically and eschatologically, which means the end times, you do realize, we don't have time to unpack this whole thing, but just real quick eschatology. In Revelation, it says at the resurrection, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You understand that? A new heaven and a new earth. And you're like, well, what does that mean? What is it? We'll get to that in a different sermon. Um, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, and this is where it gets crazy, is uh, heaven is not some ethereal existence in the clouds wearing a diaper with a bow and arrow over your shoulder in a, you know, playing the harp. That's not, that is not what heaven is at all. It actually says it's a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. And basically what that means is all the things that I've missed out on down here, I will get to experience the perfected version of that up there. So all the culture, all the architect, all the trips, all the stuff, you're like, I got to do that. I got to do that. Or like, it's okay if you, it's okay if you miss a few of those down here. It's okay. I mean, if you have them, go for it. But bottom line, it's okay if you miss it. You don't have to make sure. It's like, I got that. I got that. If you don't get it here, you'll get it up there. What we can't do up there is get the gospel to men and women. What we can do there is get the gospel to boys and girls. What we can't do up there is get more people to glorify God because that's what's done down here. And so again, all we're trying to do, let's leverage it. Listen, I don't know how much longer you got. I don't know how much longer I've got. But listen, this season right now, let's leverage what God has given us for the glory of God and the good of other people.